0: Hey, welcome to the Rona Morrell podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gates for the love of God? Come on, really? Then if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rona Morrell. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges, keeping the show unpolished, but in a fun and unique British style with sarcasm, tenacity, or maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or TOWIE with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally getting the confidence to shout, come on really. So enjoy. Hi Ranju, welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
1: I don't know, I'm well and thank you for having me on today.
0: Oh, you're very, very welcome. So for the listeners, um, Ranju uh, Matani is the Executive Chairman of Epic Group Um, and for those people that don't know what Epic Group is, it's one of the largest global apparel manufacturers in the world Um, and has some really strong ethics and ethos around sustainability and employee welfare and here in the UK we've been having lots of bad press about fast fashion, how employees are treated and I had the pleasure a few years ago, pre-COVID, of working with Ranju in his his team. And I was really blown away by the setup there. So I wanted to kind of bring a more positive slant to the apparel manufacturing industry. Um, Ranju cut his teeth at a very young age in the garment um, industry and four decades later is now producing over 120 million garments with factories in Bangladesh, Vietnam, Jordan, Ethiopia, and your head office is in Hong Kong, uh, which is, I think, where you are right now. It's starting to look a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and we had to reschedule the, the podcast because there was a typhoon recently. So welcome to the show, Ranju. And it's an absolute pleasure to see you again.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. absolutely.
0: Fantastic. Well, so listen, what I wanted to do first, if that was OK, was just to dive into um, one area that's talked about a lot here, and that's employee welfare. Now, I had the pleasure of visiting Bangladesh and Ethiopia on my travels with with you. Can you talk to us a little about about some of the initiatives you have in place for your employees, specifically around, because it's so female-orientated?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk more about the workers because those are the most important associates in our company, right? They, they are the ones that they bring the bread and butter to the table. So, you know, from, from a very young... Uh, an early stage of the company, we felt that the basic ethics need to be in place in a, in a garment factory. Uh, garment factories are very often uh, you know, termed as sweatshops, you know. Uh, but so we started with the basics, you no know, underage, labor, treating the workers with respect. I mean, we were in a third world country, which had not developed when I went there back in the 80s. And you could get away with anything. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Using your voice, sometimes physical uh, uh, abuse, you know, because supervisors and managers uh, had that culture and we had to work very hard to inculcate that as a company, that's not part of our culture. We're an international company and we treat uh, workers with respect and especially the females with respect. So that was a long, arduous journey. Uh, I think it took about four or five years to set that culture in. Obviously, after that, we started doing a lot of more advanced things for our associates. And, uh, you know, I I think uh, the first thing is treating them with respect. And then after that was really, you know, about facilities, right? So, uh, you know, I think we were the first company in Bangladesh to start an electronic payroll. We set up ATM machines in the factory. And going back 20 years ago, I used to go to the factory and see these uh, trolleys of cash going through with envelopes and god knows who took a cut from the poor lady's salary and it drove me berserk and they said you can't do it because you can't open twenty thousand bank accounts but we managed to do it we said up have <laughs> had this we built the atms and you know we, we've been doing that and as a step up now in the last one year now we use a mobile app so they don't even need the atm so the and the workers have become so savvy they receive the money on the phone they're paying their bills on the phone so i i think that uh, uh, we should never underestimate our associates and uh, if we provide them the uh, scope they're definitely willing to improve their lives you know and that's really uh, what i would say our focus is on improving their lives we recently took five workers we sent them to the uh, a University for Women in Chittagong, which is an international university. Uh, we spent half a million US on those five ladies right. uh, for a five year course. And uh, I was amazed. I mean, there's a video that we have on social media. These workers turned into like executives, like young college students speaking fluent English. Uh, right. have decided on their own career path. You know, okay. so th- those are a few things that we keep doing. I mean, you know, for our workers, we did something called clean vision. We right. checked 25,000 people. We give them an eye test. We gave 6,000 spectacles to workers who had bad eyesight, who would normally not even know that they have bad eyesight. Yeah. You know? So I, I can keep talking till the cows come home, but uh, our focus is to improve their lives.
0: No, absolutely. And I guess all, you know, when you first started the ATM programme, that would have been, of course, groundbreaking. And also, I think giving your associates the um, empowerment for their own finances, which I think is hugely important. So so congratulations for for doing that. One of the other things that I I saw when I was there as well was um, the facilities around childcare. And also you touched on a little bit there, but about educational programs and, and, and training, and even down to having, you know, small you know, hospitals, small hospitals and doctor facilities. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you introduced those?
1: No, I mean, we've had that from inception, because if you have large factories, there are going to be medical emergencies uh, and injuries and sometimes sickness. So, uh, you know, a lot of people set up a small medical room just to pass compliance. But our intention was to set up like a mini clinic or a hospital with qualified doctors and nurses and ambulances and provide them the right medical treatment. And I have a first-hand experience a couple of times because I fell sick in a factory with high blood pressure and I was given wow. the right medication. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty well-versed with medications and I'm pretty finicky about doctors. So, so there was a good first-hand experience that my workers are being treated well we set up daycare facilities, uh, I must say that uh, I wish we could set up a much larger capacity because in each of our factories, we're able to accommodate 100, 150 children. But a lot Bye. of uh, others prefer to leave their kids in that uh, amenity of ours, which has got a lot of, uh, nowadays, even a PlayStation and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, get their meals. Uh, unfortunately, the, the waiting list is very long. I mean, we can't have... Daycare centers for 5,000 kids, but uh, these are small things that we can do for our workers, you know. And, you know, I, I don't know whether Rona, you saw when you went to Bangladesh, but we set up a mini university. Yes,
0: and, I didn't see that.
1: Uh, so we're constantly training workers. We've opened two more now. And, uh, you know, there's physical training, there's sports. So it's not just about training, it's about also extracurricular activities, you know.
0: Yeah, and I have seen some of the obviously supporting some of the the, the um uh re- religious celebrations and also I think the areas around your factories as well. And that's something I wanted to, to to touch on as well about having those green zones, if you like, to help with that kind of mind, mind health um and having a space to go. Um but yeah, I think having could you could you talk to us a little bit about some of the um the courses uh, and the training that you do outside of what you would expect for a garment manufacturing in terms of how we're empowering them
1: so you see i mean obviously there's a lot of machine training and what we call technical training which i won't talk about but what we try to do is spend uh, literally two days to uh, first explain to them about the company and the culture mm-hmm. right and it's it's really from top to bottom and bottom to top so so what, how we describe our culture is two ways. We are the people who are never happy, right? No matter what we do, uh, we're never happy. And that's why we see a relentless pursuit of better. And we must be better every day. And yesterday's better is not good enough for us. You know what I mean? So that is what we need to inculcate into our workers. And we want to inculcate into our workers that their uh, ideas will make us a better company. If an operator is teaching on a machine, she should be able to be the best person to improvise the process and not us. Because then she becomes the expert on the machine. After that, we do a lot of uh, training for basic hygiene, you know, etiquettes, mannerisms and how you treat your fellow members with respect. So this is a week-long training that we do, uh, which Mm -hmm. is kind of replenished every six months. And then they go into a two-week mixed course of uh, technical training along with uh, physical and extracurricular sports activities. Uh, Because you understand that the attention span cannot last for a whole day. So when they are looking forward to lunch and some sports after, it keeps them intrigued to come back next day and listen, listen very intently
0: no absolutely and it's it, honestly it it really is incredible i have to say i, I truly was blown away by uh, some of the facilities um that, that you have and you touched a little bit there about lunchtime um to most people that's nipping out of the office going to buy something for for lunch tell me a little bit about some of the facilities that you provide for the associates with 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 food
1: well see first of all i think we've got uh, very uh Modern canteens. I would say they are canteens like my son has in a college in a university in America, clean, nice. Uh, and, and we provide a full lunch to them. There are televisions all over the canteen, large televisions, which play cultural programs and uh, uh, the Bangladesh news and stuff like that, so that because they only get that short break of one hour and ideas for them to be able to relax. We've also got a lot of mats and mini roll-up beds there so that if they want to take a short snooze after lunch. So we've thought about the small things about their habits and try to make them more comfortable, you know.
0: No, absolutely, I have to say the food is fantastic as well, so <laughs> the pleasure of eating there as well um, no that, that's incredible and, I, I, and this is what I wanted to to kind of bring to the forefront. you know people who are leading in transformation and leading in sustainability in an industry that can be seen as very much you know we've, we've here in the u k heard a lot about shein recently and the you know 18 hour shifts one day off a month, money being withheld and I think how we Empower, And whilst I'll not talk about unless you mention the brands that you produce uh, for and they are global leading brands, we have a choice here, especially in the West, about where we choose to buy our clothes and the impact of those individuals. So I really wanted to touch on that whole whole welfare um, element. But what I'd love to talk about now as well is um, the what you've been doing around the green factory. And whilst the welfare of the associates is hugely important, you have got, you know, these huge factories all over the world. So tell me a little bit about how you're trying to transition into a, uh, I guess, a a greener industry.
1: Before I get straight away to that question, I'll tell you the real, uh, you know, the encouragement, the passion behind it, you know. So there are always two kinds of... uh, Approaches. One is you're doing things because you're forced to do it or you're doing it to pass compliance or because you're trying to steer abreast with your competition. The second approach is because you believe in it. You, you feel it's the right thing to do. Then you do it full heartedly and you do it sensibly. So for us, luckily, uh, it's the latter. From the beginning, yeah. and whether it's our workers, because that's part of sustainability. If you can't look after your people, you can't become a green factory. Uh, we believe in what we do, therefore, our stories are real. And you know, I'm amazed that oh, you know, if I was to leave the company for six months and come back, I wouldn't recognize my own company. That's how fast we're changing. Uh, I mean, a few recent things, I mean, there's solar power in all our new factories, right? Yeah. We've started changing the effluent treatment plants in all our factories. We've done two so far. Uh, we use the membrane therapy and quite honestly, uh, the water that comes out is pure water, it's transparent water. I'm not going to tell you to drink it, but it's pure water, right? Okay. Whereas, no, so it's very modern effluent treatment plants. We invested close to $2 million in each of those plants and having right. so many factories, that's a significant uh, investment. Um, then, you know, we put in sensors and building management systems into all our companies so that we are measuring uh, the carbon emissions, you know, um, yeah. in a lot of it revolves around our washing. We started changing all our washing machines to what we call the rainforest machines. They right. consume 40% less water, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're 90% there and we're constantly looking for new technology where we reduce chemicals. We reduce hazardous waste. Uh, just about two months ago, we signed up with a company called Clean Core in collaboration uh, with some treatment on fabrics. We we're able to drastically reduce wastage, which has been wow. well advertised. And we're launching it in a big way with our few customers. And they'll be in the stores in the next few months. So there, there I, I mean, I, I probably say that there's now a multiple approach in our company and all because they believe in it Obviously, we were 100% BCI four years ago, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, now we're going more and more into organic and lensing and tensile. So there's a lot of uh, innovation going on on the fabric side, which is also very important. So it's multifaceted. There's not enough you can do. Now, when there's not enough you can do and there's such huge investments, that's where we come in and we believe in it so that we do it prudently. We do it phase-wise and we also do a return on investment. So like, how do we justify the solar power? Why are we doing the ETP? So we also make a financial math out of it because you just can't keep investing uh, as a garment factory without making financial sense of it. So we do that part so that our vigor is not uh, dampened by the expenditure. And there's no limit to how much you can invest into these improvements.
0: No, absolutely. And actually, you've touched on a really important subject there. I was on a panel last night and somebody asked me the question, how do you work with people when it comes to investing in green technology or transition? Because a lot of people see it as it's too expensive, I'm not going to do it. So can you talk a little bit about, obviously, you've made some of these big investments. How are you seeing the return on investment? Is it by by sort of, uh, you know, more orders from clients because you are doing what you're doing or actually genuinely having savings through energy and water and wastage and consumption?
1: No, we really save on the energy and the electricity consumption and that's how we get our payback. We don't get any orders because we are more sustainable. It's only one compartment of qualifying as a supplier. Uh, right. Only I mean, now today there are 267 green factories in Dhaka. Doesn't mean all of them are going to get business, right? Because as a manufacturer today, you have to offer design. You have to deliver goods to the consumer. You have to deliver goods to the store. It's multifaceted. Besides having good factories, sustainability, don't get me wrong, is very important. Uh, but you've got to have the product, the price. So it's a lot of things put together. So we do the sustainability and the green Uh, One, because we believe in it. Uh, And most of it, 80% of it is done with a payback, which is a tangible payback. 20% is invested into people where the payback is happy faces.
0: Amazing. Incredible. And are you finding... there is more requests and pressure through the supply chain on the topics of sustainability. So are you getting it top down? And then how are you working through your supply chain around you know, helping and assisting rather than, I guess, beating them up over their sustainability plans?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I mean, we don't get so much pressure from our customers because we are very forthcoming in what we do. Uh, so it's, you know, it's more a collaboration. It's not uh, pressure. Now, when we go down to our suppliers, we realized about three years ago that uh, it's impossible for us to do anything because we have too many suppliers. So we started consolidating the supplier base and started giving more business to fewer suppliers so that we become more important to them. And when we became more important to them, we set out our sustainability requirements with them. And we have a team which uh, frequents these mills like once every couple of months and uh, does, you know, a measuring as per the Higgs index, yeah, right? And that's our barometer, you know, and uh, we've seen a lot of improvement. And again, we also started moving into more affluent mills who have more international exposure where we don't have to start from scratch.
0: So they've got the kind of reporting already, the data, etc. So they've
1: got 50%, so then we help them and we work as a team. It's collaboration, you know.
0: Um, and again, you know, I, I I'm being facetious in my questions because I kind of know how you would, you know, you wouldn't be beating them up. You'd, you'd be working collaboratively, and I think that's what we need the message to get across. And also the fact that the identification between having to do it and believing the need to do it for for the for the planet. Um, talk a little bit, if you if if you mind about if you don't mind about the you know the water affluence. So. Water dyes, chemicals are all, of course, a topic of conversation around what we pump out back into, uh, you know, into the soils and the rivers, etc. So, whilst it might not be human-grade consumption water, it's it's suitable for agriculture, waterways, etc.
1: So you know, uh, you know, I mean, you've been to Dakarona and uh, you can see the rivers and all; they have all kinds of filth and. Die stuff. So when we did these ETPs in the factory, somebody told me, no matter what you discharge, there's so much other filth over there. So I said, I'm I'm not going to commit a murder because everybody else is committing a murder. You know what I mean? So yeah. So what we can do is we can control our premises. We can control. Uh, we can discharge clean water because we are sincerely concerned that that water, if it went into the hands of children or something, would be severely toxic, you yeah. know, uh, for us, the affluent treatment plant is very important because I think water is the key element that we attack through our washing, through our wastage, you know, uh, and the solar power and all is secondary and third, you know, and again, you know, just going back to earlier question, Rona, when we're not chasing money and when we're not chasing and doing it for the right reason, you always get rewards. For example, six months ago, HSBC signed up Uh, we were the first people to sign up a sustainability finance program with significantly lower bank charges. And now we're in the process of doing it with Standard Chartered Bank. Amazing. It it pays you indirectly. You know what I mean? Uh, But you do it for the right reason. For me, uh, during this podcast with you, I want to tell you that uh, the reason why we've had a little bit of success and we're never going to say we're perfect is because we believe in it.
0: No, absolutely. And I think just, you know, it's the, the reality is a lot of this isn't rocket science. It's about what we pump into our, you know, soils and waterways. And, and of course, as humans, we connect with all those elements of nature and consume, consume all of those. So it's 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 just fantastic to hear all the processes and work that that, that are going on. And that's really what I wanted to give was the the good story about, you know, transformational leaders like yourself and everybody at Epic. Um, Could you give us a few examples of ideas maybe that some of the associates have come up with that you've actually embraced within the business?
1: Well, I think there's so many ideas. I mean, it started a while ago where we changed all the lights in the company to, you know, lesser energy uh, usage. Uh, We started changing the motors to all our machines because our maintenance team came in and said, start using servo motors. They consume less electricity. So we get ideas every day, you know, on uh, how we can improve it. You know, I mean, recently an associate came up with a new idea for the drinking water for the workers. Right. Uh, We have what we call, uh, I'm not very technical, but RO plants, right? And then, you know, you have in these factories taps where you pull out the water and there's a contraption which you put in the tap, which further uh, takes out any uh, residue from the water. So it's it's small things, but makes a very big difference.
0: And that's, again, and I'm a firm believer of that, the people actually working right in the nuts and bolts of any business really do have the best ideas. Um, you touched earlier about um, toxins and, and, and toxic um, waste. What sort of innovations are you seeing in the apparel industry to kind of address that within the, the, the garments?
1: Well, you know, I, I think that we've seen uh, a lot of uh, innovation on the chemical side. Where you know a lot of hazardous chemicals, because you know the U.S. government has also come out with a whole list of chemicals that are banned. So we've seen that there are a lot of chemical suppliers that have evolved and enhanced their uh, you know uh, chemicals, so that we don't, uh, for example, we don't do potassium permanganate anymore. We don't use stones anymore, you know, because there's artificial powder which gives you the same stone treatment. Or we use lasers, you know. So I, I think there's a lot of innovation going on uh, in that respect. And again, like I was talking to you about the washing, but lasers are so important. Uh, now we've got, like, you know, in our factory EGMC, we've got about 14 lasers. Now these yeah. are pretty expensive equipment, but first of all, you're automating. Number two, you're getting more green. Number three, you're standardizing the product. So it also enhances your quality, you know, so I I think that that is one area, then the entire building management system I have a lot of respect for, because you know, if you have a small hole in your roof, uh, you won't come to know about it, unless you see the water coming through, but the building management system has sensors, which exactly will point out to you where you have uh, a problem in the building. So I think there's a lot of innovation and in technology and it's constant, you know, we can't uh, sometimes cope up with it.
0: I think that's a fair summary, actually. I think anything to do with sustainability can be very, very overwhelming in terms of yes. the challenges that we, that we face and the opportunities, more importantly, that, that are there. Um, I, I wanted to kind of talk to you lastly really about how do you see the the future for the garment industry? So, for example, and what I mean by that is, as we look to um, a more circular approach to our garments, so new items, reused, um, patched, you know, um, in in terms of sales, we're starting to see that here in the UK. My, My worry is... So then what do we do with these hundreds of thousands, millions of garment workers that we have globally? If we did truly move circular, do you feel that that's going to be in the future? And because the amount of garment waste that is in landfill globally now is, is truly shocking this, you know, fast fashion. How do you see the industry transitioning to address fast fashion and also what would we do with all those associates um in a circular economy
1: so you know first of all so much has changed in the last four years see with covid and also the way trends and fashions have changed the way people are dressing you know what i mean it's uh it's more polyester it's more lululemon it's more comfort you know what i mean so so that's one aspect of it then i think uh Post-Covid, you know, I mean, there was big spending because in places like America, there were big stimulus checks, you know. Now, obviously, when the stimulus checks stopped, the spending uh, stopped, and then we see a mini recession, and then we see an interest hike. So, I think we're going to see pretty rocky waters for the next two, three years, um, number one. Now, that itself is going to create lesser demand in an industry which has got oversupply. So, yeah. I think short term ramifications are a lot of consolidations and more more uh, losers than winners that that right. is really my uh, uh, unfortunate prediction for the next two, three years, and I hope that I'm totally wrong because mm-hmm. i'll be happy to be wrong. you know what i mean uh, long term you know I think uh, garment manufacturing is not manufacturing anymore it's about world class factories with sustainability with design at the end of the day to be able to satisfy the consumer whether you do it through a retailer whether you do it through a brand whether you bring your own brand to the table so what I feel is garment manufacturing is about disruption right right? you're going to have to do nearshoring you're going to have to have a combination of nearshoring and overseas global sourcing Uh, a lot is going to change I don't think that we are ever going to see in the next 10 years the ability to replace the human beings who do the intensive work. Uh, right. You may have robots to make t shirts, but they're definitely not going to be able to stitch a cargo pad. That, yeah. may be, that may be 20 years down the line, but I like to think at least for the next 10 years. But definitely, you're going to see a survival of the fittest, which means there is going to be people who lose their jobs because the industry definitely needs to consolidate yeah. uh, in the long term. I, I think that it's not about the associates because uh, economies start booming, economies start evolving countries like India. You know, I mean, if they don't do garments, they'll do something else. It's countries like Bangladesh, which are more dependent on garments. Yeah. I believe the way the country is evolving and diversifying and going into bicycles and footwear and things like that there'll always be jobs for them their gdp is good uh, the right. second generation has come in the education levels are being raised yeah and that's all that's all good signs for a country where they don't have to be dependent on just garments you know
0: and I, I think that's really good to hear because I think that was I, I was uh, you know this this guy was talking the other night about um, he's got this kind of full circular material um, and within that material as it as uh, and the infrastructure to be able to get it back you know um, repurpose and put it out again with this it's got this small chip in it that you know you can you know where the garment is at any one time. Slightly, slightly freaks me out because I thought, oh, God, I, you know, I don't want my kids knowing where I am permanently.
1: Um, you know, but- well, sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, which is probably the most automated country in the world, I would say the USA, you know, and there's a tremendous shortage of workers. Yeah. So that should answer some questions.
0: Yeah. And that's good. It makes me feel better. I can think because having spent time in those countries and, you know, I've travelled extensively, your your fear through all of this automation, technology, innovation is that, well, we're still left with millions of humans that are fabulous people with bright ideas, intelligence, children, all of this. And so it, it's kind of how we protect humanity through those those transitions that I guess is really important.
1: So what you're talking about is a few decades. It's not going to happen in the next five, 10 years. And, you know, when it happens in a few decades, these people would also have evolved.
0: Yeah, well, I hope so for the sake of, you know, I guess all of our children. And, um, well, listen, I, you know, I, I just, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really important that the listeners and people hear about companies like Epic Group, who are both ethically, um sustainably and and transforming the global apparel industry right from its associates to the amazing food you give them every day to the banking you know the facilities the training the childcare, um, right through to the, the the solar the affluent water i just want to kudos to you and your team for continuing to take that challenge and invest and lead the the industry so thank you so so much ranji
1: Thank you, thank you. I'm absolutely flattered that you have given me this opportunity today. And um, again, uh, I apologize for the reschedule due to the typhoon. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Rona.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, have a wonderful day.
0: You too. So that's it, you've made it, the show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the and Morale podcast. Have an awesome day and see you next time.